Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, you are a hidden God, and your grace and mercy cannot be clearly seen apart from your word. We ask you to bless the words of today's sermon that we may understand the blessings you work through our hardships, and that we may even more clearly see and trust in you as our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Job chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Isn't a man's time on earth like being compelled to serve in the army? Aren't his days like those of a hired man? Like a slave, he longs for shade, or like a day laborer, he waits for his pay. In the same way, I've been allotted months of futility and nights of agony have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? But the night drags on, and I'm filled with restlessness until dawn. My flesh is clothed with maggots and caked with dirt. My skin scabs over and then oozes again. My days pass by more swiftly than the shuttle of a weaver's loom. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is just a breath. My eyes will never again see good fortune. This is the word of our Lord. Right before I left for the fall semester in which I would begin studying to be a pastor, I had to sell my crowning achievement in life, my home. It was a humble home. It was just a three-bedroom trailer. But I always remember one of the people who looked at, responded to the ad to look at it. I had to take an hour off of work to match a time that fit with his schedule, and then he didn't show up. Great. Well, right as I was ready to leave to get back to work and clock back in, coming down the street was one of the biggest and most expensive SUVs money could buy at that time, and he pulled into the driveway. I knew at that moment that this person was not going to buy my home. Because if you sold my home and all my vehicles, they did not add up to the value of what that young person had been. As I showed him the home and did my best, showed him some of the neat features that were different than other three-bedroom trailers, he just kept saying, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It became very clear he was never interested from the get-go. And he finally admitted to me that what he wanted was a house that cost at least 10 times more than the asking price of, of my humble home. But his mommy and daddy, who had bought him that very nice SUV, they weren't going to spend that kind of money on him unless he could prove that nothing else in that university town was going to fit the bill. He really wanted a large house that could be a party home for his friends. When it was said and done and he walked away, I felt a little frustrated because I had lost two hours' pay to somebody who never had any intentions of buying my home. Wasn't even interested. But you know, the saddest thing is, is the realization he was what we call a spoiled brat. And what I mean by that is not in bitterness at all. It's the fact that his parents had bought him things that most people will be middle-aged before they can even afford to look at. They had just given them to him. And he didn't appreciate the value of them. And he didn't appreciate the blood, sweat, and tears that most people put in to have those things. Well, that's what the devil accuses God of when it comes to Job. See, the book of Job begins and tells us what's going on behind the scenes. God is a hidden God, and he provides through natural laws that he's created in things. And so, Job never knows that this was a direct attack and assault from the devil. The devil appears before God's throne and says, basically, Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I've beat you. God says, oh, how's that? There's not a single person left that believes. Oh, have you tried my servant, Job? Oh, bosh, the devil basically says, you've spoiled him rotten. He is spiritually and in this world materialistically a brat. Of course he loves you. You give him everything. If you were to take those things away, he wouldn't love you so much. God says, fine, you can take everything but his life. Job never knows any of that. 
Now, this is going to be for Job's benefit as well. But the devil runs off to do that. But I want to point out to you, here, obviously, I've brought out, this is hidden behind the scenes. Job doesn't know this. But the devil is stupid. Let's not kid ourselves. He was a holy angel that had everything perfect, and he rebelled against God anyways. And then number two, God's already won this. I don't want to use the word bet. But he's already won this because faith is actually the Holy Spirit living in your heart. If God has determined that Job's not going to fall out of faith, he's not going to withdraw his Holy Spirit from Job's heart. In the long run, Job does want to know the hidden reasons. Why? And God ultimately points out to him, you can't handle the why. It's just too complex. But God also restores him and God shows him his love. And so today we see the hidden God uses hardships to change your perspective on life. Our text begins, isn't man's time on earth like being compelled to serve in the army? This isn't volunteering for the army. This is how it works when you're compelled to serve in the army. You're going to go to prison if you don't serve, or uh, the professional soldiers who want to do this, the, volu the, the voluntary ones, they're behind you and they'll shoot you in the back if you don't shoot the people coming at you, the people we tell you to attack. Do you know how much in life we do because, well, we have the saying, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. So we rush to prevent problems, and it seems like a lot of our life is spent rushing to prevent problems, and then problems we didn't even see come along and blindside us. Whether we're talking about taking care of the roof over our head, our health, or even our good reputations, our honor, somebody tells a, a little lie about us or misperceives something, and there's egg all over your face. Job continues, aren't his days like those of a hired man? A hired man... All he has is his wages to look forward to. If he sees something that'll make the farm run better, it's not to his benefit, is it? It's to the owner's benefit. If he works for a company and he sees some, a product that can really make a lot of money, it's not going to make him a lot of extra money unless he goes off and starts his own company because he's not the investor. He's not the one who owns it. And so we constantly work for the wages, shall we say, of having a roof over our head, clothes on our back, food in our stomach, and they just seem to disappear like dust in the wind. Verse 2 is really sad. He says, like a slave, he longs for shade. What is a slave's motivation for doing work? Not to have master beat him? He doesn't get any extra wage. If he works hard enough and gets done early enough, the best he can hope for in the Mediterranean climate like Job lived in is to, is to have a few minutes rest in the shade where he's not overheated. And if he works hard enough to get an extra couple of minutes, then the master will say, I can see you're capable of more work. Uh, I'll expect that from you every day now, uh, right up until the sun sets. It's a darned if you do, darned if you don't situation. He finally says, or like a day laborer, he waits for his pay. This guy gets hired for one day and he knows it. The only incentive he has is the end of the day's wages. He may want to have a good reputation in hope of getting hired back, but he's been hired to harvest the crops that day, and that's it. So the only incentive is his pay. In this life, it seems like everything we chase after falls out of our hands. It gives us blisters and frustration. Job says in verse 3, In the same way I've been allotted months of futility and nights of agony have been assigned to me. Now a lot of this is because of his sickness. But doesn't he perfectly describe life here? If we're busy chasing after things like a, a better roof over our head, suddenly high winds or a tornado comes along and we lose that as well. Why is that? It's because when Adam and Eve fell into sin, God subjected this day world to decay. And he did that so that we do not get attached to this world. 
Sadly, until people come to see a loving God who has made them citizens of a perfect kingdom, that's the heavenly kingdom, who has told them the new heavens and the new earth will be yours. If people don't believe in that, only thing they have to live for is a better four-wheel drive and a, and a better roof and, and, and nicer clothes on their back, and they're constantly wearing out anyways. So we, if the world does not decay around us, will become spiritually spoiled because we'll get too attached to the things of this world. And it's really sad, a lot of Christians get confused about this. Luther called it the theology of glory. Today we call it prosperity theology where people teach if you give God your heart and you love God hard enough and you give enough offerings, then God is going to spoil you like he did Job. And they leave out the part where Job then goes through all the hardships. See, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, he promises you crosses are going to come upon you. It doesn't mean every minute of every hour of every day is going to be horrible for you. But God will allow the hardships so that we do not get attached to this decaying world, but stay attached to him who has given us citizenship in a perfect kingdom. And so we see our home and everything. They're, they're things we want to be good stewards of, but they are not the end all and meaning of life. It makes us seek meaning in a meaningless world. And that's the third point I'm going to get to. But for now, you find real meaning in Christ because he has made you God's child. And when you are God's child, you have a heavenly kingdom that's perfect. So the hidden God uses hardship to change your perspective on life so that you don't get attached to this decaying world, but recognize there's something better. Now, in the end of this, in verse 7, Job says, Remember that my life is just a breath. My eyes will never again see good fortune. I don't like the translation fortune because the origins of the word fortune really may be better to understand this as prosperity. Now, Job would eventually see prosperity, but he says, my life is short. This is one of the blessings Job actually got out of this hardship. And God actually extended his life and he lived much longer than most people did at his time. But it is a reminder for us, when we get diseases like COVID and we're one of the people that it's very hard on, it reminds us, this life is short. When we're told and diagnosed that we have cancer, God subjected this world to decay and it reminds us, this life is short. Why do we need to know that this life is short? Again, so that we don't become complacent and think that it's this life is everything that, we, that God has to offer us. When we see that life is short, we long for the eternal life that Jesus Christ has won for us and freely gives us. It's very common for unbelievers to say, religion is just fairy tales you tell children so that they can cope with the death of grandma. What a bleak outlook on life if you think, when you die, that's it, the lights go off and nothing else. That bleak outlook alone should make them see the very problem with what they're saying. This life is short, why would you put all your eggs in that basket? It makes us long for the eternal life that God so graciously has won for us and freely gives us. Now, as a side note, I'd like to mention, you as a Christian live your life showing God's love. But what does happen when you die? What message is left behind? It is sad when grandmother passes away and the grandkids don't know how to plan her funeral and they end up fighting with the pastor to sing hymns that grandmother knew, taught something different. When they want to stand up and say, oh, grandma was so great. If she didn't get her in heaven, nobody did. And that's the problem. Heaven is a free gift from God. So please sit down and plan that final message. 
Work with your pastor with that. And let me tell you what the final message, and I always apply it to the person, will always be for a Christian that I give. This person's in heaven. This life is short. They look forward to the time when you will be with them. So cling to Christ. You see, the hidden God uses hardship to change your perspective on life so that you don't get attached to this decaying world but look forward to the eternal paradise God has promised and made for you and so that you understand how short this life is so that you actually appreciate the gift of eternal life. Now, Job in the middle of those verses explains, when I lie down, I think how long before I get up, but the night drags on and I'm filled with restlessness until dawn. You know, when you're so exhausted that you can't sleep, it makes it worse and you start getting muscle cramps and your body hurts more. Job is miserable. So miserable his body's exhausted yet it won't fall asleep. He says in verse 5, My flesh is clothed with, clothed with maggots and caked with dirt. My skin scabs over and then oozes again. My days pass more swiftly than the shuttle of a weaver's loom. They come to an end without hope. Isn't that a sad statement? Now, in the midst of all this misery, Job will ultimately say the strongest words of hope that a human being can confess. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end I will see him. I, with my own eyes, I will see him, I and not another. Job never does fall out of faith. He does want to know why. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Job was so miserable with the affliction the devil gave him that he could only find rest in God. God coming to deliver him and telling the devil enough. And God ultimately does. But that really is our lives spiritually. Our soul is restless. There is something that we ache and hurt and yearn for until we find rest in our loving Heavenly Father who sent his only son to be our savior, who is now our brother, who then sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we believe. And see, this is the problem. When, when people tend to think that illness and things like that are God's punishment to us. And, you know, I've had to deal with people with that where, okay, I've got cancer in my stomach right now. This must be because 20 years ago I stole something from my boss. They're completely unrelated. So don't confuse God's discipline there. But when we turn around and we think that prosperity theology, then we're going to fall into the despair and say, I must not be holy enough. Or why is God allowing this? I can't figure out what to do to remove it. And that's when we need to run to the word, the word of God that assures us that our sins are forgiven and that God loves us and is using this for our good. We can fall into two mistakes when we are miserable and we're looking for that rest that only God can give. We can think that God has absolutely nothing to do with sickness. This is purely just a scientific problem. Job could have easily thought that, not knowing that the devil was behind these scenes. We can, therefore, we think of God as taking a snooze and not really loving us because he's not paying attention. That's one extreme we don't want to fall into. The other is to say, God, this is all your fault. You're being cruel and mean to me. That's what Job's wife told him. She said, curse the Lord and die. Get this over with. And we can see that right now with the COVID virus where people have said, the guy down the street, he got it and didn't even know he had it. It was so easy on him. I got it. Six months later, I'm finally able to come to work after being in the hospital. Why is God picking on me? Why did God make it harder on me? Sometimes we can't handle the complexity of the why. But God assures us he was using it for your good. And oftentimes, in Job's case, do you know why Job went through this misery? Certainly God worked for Job in it as well. But he went through this misery for you. 
so that you can understand that there are many blessings God gives us in our hardships so that we don't become like that spoiled, rotten brat that just doesn't appreciate everything mommy and daddy has given us, so given him, so that we don't become spiritually spoiled, but truly appreciate every day the gift God has given us. The book of Job is really completely summarized in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, which was today's epistle lesson. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. It was a blessing God, the hidden God gave to Job, and it's a blessing the hidden God gives to you. The hidden God uses hardships to change your perspective on life so that you don't get attached to this decaying world, but rejoice in the perfect world he's already made you a citizen of. So that you understand how short life is, and therefore rejoice in the eternal life that he's given you. You can confess, I'm going to live forever in paradise. And so that the soul is restless until it finds rest in God, and God has given you that rest and reassures you and strengthens it through his word. Amen. And now after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.